0: If you don't have a Bible, uh, we love to preach through the Bible. And today we're going to do something a little bit different at the end of the sermon. I'm going to read the whole of 1 Peter, uh, which we don't normally do. So you might want to have a Bible in front of you so you can read along. If you'd like one, put your hand up and Arby, who's got his hand up, he'll bring you a Bible so you can read along. If you've got a digital version, we use the ESV, uh, the ESV translation, that'll help you And today's our last sermon in 1 Peter. Uh, We've had 22 messages through 1 Peter, and now is our last one. We've been thinking this whole time about us being exiles, how to live faithfully faithfully for Jesus in a hostile world, or how to live for Jesus in a hostile world. I should remember my own tagline. There you go. Next week, we're going to start a new series for about eight weeks called Sanctifying the Ordinary. Sanctifying the ordinary, and nothing, it's a pretty cool looking skateboard. Uh, the point of that series is we're just gonna be taking random, not random topics, but topics and seeing how they relate, how do you bring the Christian life and faith just to our ordinary life? Uh, what does it mean to actually, you know, work for Jesus? That's what the first sermon is gonna be on. Like, how does our job relate to our Sunday morning? Uh, that's you know what Richard's going to be preaching on next week and various other topics. So get ready for that. That'll be good. And then after that, we're going to do a short series on lamentations, five weeks of sadness. Uh, but I think that it's going to be good for us as a church to learn how do we grieve and be sad together. Um, so many people have experienced death and suffering and, and things. And how do we have language for that? So that'll be coming up after Sanctifying the Ordinary. And then after that, We're going to be starting a new book and we're going to take a long time and we're going to go through uh, Paul's letter to the Romans. Uh, And so we're going to go through Romans, which will be epic uh, and huge and fun and a great challenge. So that's kind of our preaching roster as we look ahead. But for today, it's time to finish off one Peter. Uh, And I was sad. I packed away all my commentaries, packing away my friends. It's like, oh, not going to need you anymore, Mr. Schreiner, and goodbye, Karen and you know there was a good commentator Karen Jobs, and so that's you know that's not for you that's just me it was my sad moment but here we are here's my message title for today a powerful postscript a powerful postscript 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 12 to 14 let me read God's holy word to you verses 12 to 14 by Sylvanus, a faithful brother as I regard him Let me pray. Our God and Father, may you bless the reading and the preaching of your holy word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. I wonder if you uh, read and study the postscripts at the end of the letters in the New Testament. Do you look at these last twelve to fourteen, you know, verses 12 to 14 and think, oh, what's in here? What am I going to learn? Or maybe you're a bit more like how I used to be. Uh, You look at these verses and you think, well, these greetings, these well wishes, these instructions, they were relevant 2,000 years ago, uh, but what relevance do they have for my life today? I used to view them as nice, but unnecessary. I used to kind of look at them and it's kind of fun to read and try and pronounce their names and I thought that was a bit of a challenge, a bit of fun. You could even imagine what some of the characters look like, I think of Rufus, maybe a large bearded man, or Andronicus, who's a warrior disciple. That kind of sounds like Andronicus, warrior disciple. Or another name that comes up in some of the endings, Ampliatus. Maybe one-armed evangelist or something like that. But the meat for me was verses chapter 1, 1 through to 5, 11. But 12 to 14 seemed like they were kept there for history's sake but not quite as living and active. Couldn't Peter have just ended at verse 11? Look at verse 11. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. That's, well, boom. Yes. Cue the music. Let's go. That's great. But how wrong I was. In this short postscript, I want us to see that there's actually two vitally important things for us as a local church as we conclude this fantastic, instructive, and transformative letter. And I want to sort of give you a bit of an entree into the postscripts to give you an appetite to study them for yourselves. And then we're going to close the sermon by actually reading the letter in its entirety. So I've only got two short points today. Number one, partnership on display. Number two, stand Firm, And my hope is that by reading this letter together and finishing our time, that we will do that. That as a church, we will stand firm together. But let's look at point number one, partnership on display. Partnership on display. Far from being outdated and irrelevant, these postscripts, along with all the other New Testament kind of personal references scattered throughout the books of the New Testament, they actually give us a wonderful window into the interdependent life of New Testament churches and their leaders. Through these spirit-inspired add-ons, or at least that's what they kind of feel like, we actually gain vital insight into what gospel partnership means, not just for pastors, but for the entire church membership. Remember, these letters and these postscripts were written to the entire church. And they actually teach us, by example and sometimes by instruction, about the duties, expectations and benefits of interdependence and partnership among churches. You see, in healthy New Testament churches, partnership across churches is not just for pastors, it's for the whole church. Every member has a part to play and benefits from our partnerships. And that's my hope for our church at Southern Grace Parramatta, that we wouldn't be an island church, that we just do our own thing, care about ourselves, love one another and live for Jesus until he returns on our own. Instead, my hope is that I want us to join this New Testament Spirit-inspired example to be interdependent, connected and partnered with our other brothers and sisters and pastors in other churches, and especially our family of churches, Sovereign Grace. This kind of partnership is actually part of our history of Sovereign Grace churches, and I want it to be a vital part of our future. I want to see the youngest members in our congregation own their role in partnering with other churches, whether it's in Sydney or Seoul or Santa Ana. I want us to feel a part, and play a part within this family of churches and partnership. Not just thinking it's for the leaders or for those who really like sovereign grace, but no, to see partnership with other churches is for all of us. Because here's something I've learned from studying the New Testament and especially these postscripts. Mature churches care about and are connected to other churches. Immature churches only care about their own church. Mature churches care about and are connected to other churches. Immature churches only care about themselves. And I want us to be and continue to grow in our maturity as a church. You can, in your own time, study the difference between the Philippian or the Macedonian church in the New Testament and the Corinthian church to see this play out. I've actually got an article coming out in the next Sovereign Grace Journal on this very theme, uh, so you can read about more about that there. But in a small way, that's actually what Peter's getting done here in these last couple of verses. By the Spirit, for us, he's modelling what mature churches and leaders do. This is just a snippet, but if you study it more broadly, you'll see it all throughout the New Testament. There's three things that they do, and we're just going to look at these in brief. Mature partnership churches send and receive, they care and they love. They send and receive, they care and they love. So let's look at those elements just briefly in these short verses. Firstly, partnership means sending and receiving. Look at verse 12. By Sylvanus, a faithful brother as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, Exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God, stand firm in it. Here, Peter is explaining that he wrote this letter, perhaps with some help from Sylvanus, who we also know from the rest of the New Testament is also called Silas, and that he's sending this letter with Silas to the dispersion of churches throughout modern-day Turkey. And Silas's job is to deliver it to each of these churches and read it to them, or to raise up other people to do the task. So he introduces Sylvanus and sends him out from their local church. Sylvanus likely would have got up before a congregation like this, read the letter, provided updates on what Peter's doing, and maybe even given the first interpretation of the letter. We often think of these New Testament letters as sort of these disembodied things that just appear in our Bibles or on our phone, but these were written by on scrolls with ink by the hand of Peter and were delivered. And had to be read out loud and authoritatively declared by someone. So Peter sends Silvanus to do the job and to bear his mark of authority. So, a few things of partnership I want us to see just from this verse. Firstly, Silas is sent. Silas had to leave the comfort of his own church, his home, his conveniences, maybe even his family. He was hanging out with the Apostle Peter, a pretty good mentor to have, and he leaves there and has to say goodbye and goes out and goes on this worldwide journey to deliver these letters to the persecuted churches across Asia Minor. So he had to be sent. Secondly, the church had to send him and they send one of their best. Silas is no ordinary leader. He's not the intern. Silas has been a powerful leader in the church. We hear about him in Acts 15. He actually delivers the letter from the Jerusalem Council. He goes on many missionary journeys with Paul. He was there in Philippi when Paul and Silas were imprisoned and they broke free. And then the jailer becomes a Christian. He was there at Thessalonica, Berea, and on and on into Corinth. I was going to say Korea. Berea, Korea. No, he didn't quite make it to Korea, but he went to Corinth uh, and Silas was a powerful leader in the New Testament, New Testament church. So for the church, most likely in Rome, they had to send one of their best leaders out to go and partner with their other local churches that they wanted to bless. It wasn't in their best interest to lose Silas. I mean, imagine if Silas was around leading, you know, worship or preaching or encouraging or, or discipling. But partnership means sending, and it means sending your best. Third, notice Peter expects these churches to receive Silas. So there's sending and there is receiving. That's why he has this recommendation. That's why he mentions Silvanus or Silas so, and provides this recommendation that he is faithful as he regards him. That is, churches receive Silas. Uh, He's one of ours, he's a good brother, and he actually bears, this is a real letter from me to you, and you can trust him. So it's incumbent upon these churches to actually humbly receive this messenger from outside into their fellowship. So a couple of application points for us as a church. What does that mean? Well, firstly, partnership, as explained here, involves sending and receiving. Uh, that's why we as a church need to be committed to sending people out, training our best and sending our best. Now, that's why we're committed as a church plant to planting more churches. I pray constantly that we will send out gospel workers and not just planters, but congrega- people from this congregation to go and join our next church plant, wherever that may be. That will be a cost. Uh, that will be painful. That will be hard. But that's what churches, mature churches do. They send their best. Secondly, oh, actually another way in which, not sending your best, but another way in which you guys participate in this is when I go and travel um, overseas and, and do various things for Southern Grace Australia and represent, um, heading to Liberia soon of all places, you are part of this partnership. The reason I'm going is not because, oh, I really want to go to Liberia. I definitely don't. (laughs) I want to go to strengthen the brothers and sisters over there. And as a church, you partner with me by sending me out joyfully and and in fellowship. And we do this because we're connected through Christ and the gospel. We do this because we're Christians. We do this because we're mature. It'd be much easier if I just stayed and only focused here on Parramatta. But for the sake of the gospel and partnership, we send. We also receive. Um, We love to receive in leaders from other Sovereign Grace churches. And we are to welcome them and receive them as if they are our own. When they come with a commendation... Um, part of healthy, mature church life is to receive leaders. So in the next month, we, next couple months, we've got a few people coming in. We've got Bob Coughlin and David Zimmer coming all the way from the US to come to Australia, lead worship, lead um, worship training. Bob's going to preach. They're going to lead our worship times here. It's going to be awesome. And part of our duty is to receive them. Uh, To be, not be like, who are these American outsiders? Be like, no, you're my brother in Christ and you come with commendation. We welcome you, we receive you. When Jeff and Julie Percival come out from the US, we got to be excited for that and welcome them and receive them and on and on and on, this sending and receiving. So that's all just there in verse 12 and you can see it in other parts of the New Testament. So partnership means sending and receiving. Secondly, partnership means Caring, look at verse 13. Partnership means caring. She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. It's easy to overlook this verse, but think about it for a moment. It demonstrates the care the early church had for one another. She who is at Babylon um, is a kind of a poetic way of saying the church who is in Rome. Uh, so Babylon is this image to the Old Testament pagan city that came in and took over Jerusalem and destroyed the temple and sent them into exile. And now he uses this exilic language to describe most likely the church in Rome where the empire is and the modern day power is. And so Peter's saying the church who's in Babylon, that's in Rome, so the Roman church who, where Peter must be writing this letter from, they love you guys and they send their greetings. They, you know, it's like when you're on FaceTime and then you're like, hey, I'm on FaceTime with this person. And then they like jump in, oh, hey, it's good to see you. That's what Babel, uh, the, the church in Rome is doing as Peter's writing this letter. They're like, let the churches in the dispersion know we love them. Let them know that we care for them. Let them know that we, we greet them. They care about these churches. They're not just like, oh, well, we're in Rome and sucks to be in uh, you know, Asia Minor under persecution, but we're doing fine here. It's like, no, no, no. We want to send our care and our greeting. We're connected. And so does Mark. Mark, who most likely wrote the Gospel of Mark, who was once on missionary journey with Paul and then eventually with um, Barnabas and then with Peter and then later with Paul. Mark jumps in too and he's like, "I, I want to send my greetings, make sure they know that I love them and care for them as well. And again, just these little things we see in these verses indicate care. How does Peter describe Mark? My son. You know, it's not, he's not literally his son, uh, but Mark is so close to him as a brother in the faith that he's actually like a son. Uh, And so you see these care elements. Mature Christians care for other Christians. They're not just in it for themselves. They're not just in it even for their own church. They care about other Christians churches that's why we pray for the sovereign grace philippines national conference that's why we send money overseas in our go forward fund and we give five percent of all of our giving goes to sg global to plant and strengthen churches around the world Uh, that's why we do things like send money to abby uh, when she's in philadelphia because we just want to care for her because we care and that's what mature churches do they care for one another one way in which you can practically put this into application is to sign up to the Southern Grace Church's global missions newsletter. If you aren't yet, and we'll put it in the blog this week, and Rebs, if you could do that, that'd be great. Um, uh, one way in which you can care for churches outside of us is to sign up to that newsletter, and every month you'll get an update of what's going on around Southern Grace globally. You'll get prayer points, you'll get pictures, you'll get stories. That's another way that you can care. Another way is you can join our monthly mission prayer nights. These are nights where we pray for local mission and global mission. It's a chance for you to take a night out, sacrifice your Friday, or we're going to trial some Sunday nights as well and say, my time is not my own. I'm more concerned with other people than myself. Therefore, I'm going to give up my convenience and I'm going to bound together with other Christians and pray. Because we care for one another. 1 Corinthians 12, 26 says, If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honoured, all rejoice together. And so caring for other churches is one way we can be a body all together. Okay, so verse 13 teaches us partnership means care. Finally, partnership means love. Look at verse 14. Greet one another with the kiss of love. Peace. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. It's no good having all the love in the world for people out there if we don't have love and affection for the people in here also. So this kind of love and partnership, it's not either or. It's not like we either love SG Para or we love SG Global. (laughs) No, it's, it's both and. We care about what's going on out there and we We do that out of the overflow of the love we have for one another in here. So Peter says, greet one another with the kiss of love. That doesn't mean in the five-minute break we need to smooch one another. What he's talking about is a very personal, familial way of greeting in the Roman world, which was customary for close friends and family. Maybe kisses on the cheek, maybe kind of that Italian thing, I don't know. Something like that, but that idea of Not just like, oh, hey, yeah, you are in my church as well. It is nice to see you. (laughs) But this sense of, no, we're we're together. We're in Christ. You are eternally bought by the blood of Christ, filled with the Holy Spirit. I'll be with you forever. You're my brother and sister. So give me a hug. Now, if you're not a hugger, that's okay. You can handshake. uh, You can do a bro clasp thing. Whatever it looks like, there ought to be some sense of greeting one another and excitement to see each other. So, the kiss of love, you know, you can kiss each other in appropriate ways, but, you know, do something to show people that you truly care about them and love one another. Because a church, we see in these verses, and we ought not to overlook them, is not meant to be a place of distance and coldness or disinterest. A local church is a blueprint for heaven. People ought to walk in and see a local church and be like, oh, Yeah, this is what heaven's going to be like. These people really care about each other. These people give to each other. These people sacrifice one another. These people serve one another. This is what heaven is like. This is what God is like because this is what they do. And I just want to encourage you, church, keep going in this. You excel in greeting one another with the kiss of love and in serving one another and being kind to one another. And so just keep going. Keep knowing and loving one another keep greeting and welcoming each other and all the new people that seem to keep joining our church, which we're joyful to do. Let's keep it happening. So putting it all together, we have here a small glimpse in these short verses, a taster of the warm, interdependent life of New Testament Christianity. It's not just Jesus and me. It's not even just Jesus and we, It's Jesus and us. Uh, And the way the New Testament, the closest followers of Christ, full of the Holy Spirit, lived was interdependent. They sent and received leaders amongst their churches to strengthen. They cared for one another, sending their greetings, saying hi, sending their love, sending their money. And within their own internal churches, they loved one another and were called to do that. Mature churches, which I long us to be, care about and are connected to other churches in gospel partnership. Immature churches only care about themselves. So that's point number one: partnership on display. And I just wanted to give that brief message because I I think it's something that we talk about a lot as a church, but I wanted to give some teaching on it so that we would go, oh, that's why we do this. It's not just a Sovereign Grace thing. It's not just a Riley thing. It's not just an SG Parra thing. No, it's a biblical thing. That's why we do it. That's why we're interconnected. And I think that's why the Spirit kept these greetings in here. And if you go home on a Sunday, a good thing to do on your Sabbath, just go through and read all the postscripts in the New Testament and the first couple of verses, and you'll see what I'm talking about. It's wonderful. It's beautiful. And I love the fact that we get to be a part of it. But Peter also has a second goal in these last couple of verses. He wants to give one last exhortation to his people. And that leads us to point number two, stand firm. Remember, we've been saying this whole time that these, this letter is written to exiles, that we are aliens in this world. Have you noticed? We don't quite fit in. We, we have different values, different morality, uh, different ways of living, thinking, use of our time. And not only are we exiles, not only are we aliens, but we're sometimes living in the hostility of it as well. It's hard, it's not easy. And so Peter has one last command for his people. Verse 12. By Silvanus, a faithful brother as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. Peter wants us to see that everything in this letter, all the instruction, all the teaching, and all the commands are grace from God. Everything in this letter is the true grace of God. Not just the preaching of the gospel, which there's lots of in this letter, but even the commands are the grace of God. The warnings are grace of God. Everything is the true grace of God because it all flows from the greatest act of grace, which Peter referenced so many times in this letter. The greatest act and the truest act of God's grace was the sending of His own Son, Jesus Christ, to be a ransom, to pay the price so that we would be brought out of our sins and brought into new life with God. That we would be before God, Him very self, in fellowship and in love. All the commands, all the teaching, all the warnings are the true grace of God. And therefore, his last command to these weary exiles is stand firm. Though we be exiles, stand firm. Though hell may rage, stand firm. Though Satan may roar, stand firm. Though pain may come, stand firm. Though sin is so tempting, stand firm. And he says, stand firm, not in ourselves, not in our power, not in our church, but in the true grace of God. Stand firm in grace. It's all a gift. It's all from God. It's not us. It's all him. And we stand in his grace. And this letter is a means of grace to keep us in the faith. So I want to let Peter exhort us and declare to us one more time this true grace of God. And I've asked Steph if she would come up and give me some keyboard backing. Uh, and we're going to read through the whole of 1 Peter in one go. And I might even get you involved in some parts as I go through. We'll see. I'm going to give myself some room. I want you to imagine like being in one of these churches and Silvanus would have stood up, Silas would have stood up with the scroll. And this is what it would have been like to be in a New Testament church. He would have read the whole thing out in one go, all together. And that would have been the first they ever heard of it. This is our last time preaching through 1 Peter for you know the foreseeable future. But let it land on you. Man. Let's open our hearts and our spirits to receive God's word. Peter For salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honour at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Now, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what personal time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. For sincere, brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding Word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls, but the Word of the Lord remains forever. This word is the good news that was preached to you. So, put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to Him, a cornerstone chosen and precious and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So, the honour is for you who believe but for those who do not believe the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offence. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honour everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honour the emperor. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good, on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness by his wounds you have been healed for you were straying like sheep but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls likewise wives be subject to your own husbands So that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewellery or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honour to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from doing evil, from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on always being prepared to make a defense to anyone for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet, do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Four, Christ That is, eight persons were brought safely through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, with angels, authorities and powers having been subjected to Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that, in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To Him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you but rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings that you also may rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed if you're insulted for the name of Christ you're blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. So, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you casting all your anxieties upon him because he cares for you be sober minded be watchful your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour resist him Can you please stand? And I want us to say these words all together. Verse 11, read with me, verse 11. To him be the dominion forever and ever, amen. By Sylvanus, a faithful brother, as I regard him, I've written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen Send you greetings and so does Mark my son greet one another with the kiss of love peace to all of you who are in Christ Jesus peace to all of you who are in Christ Jesus peace to all of you who are in Christ Jesus Let's pray and respond in song. To you, O Lord, belong glory and dominion both now and forevermore. We praise you and we thank you for sending your Son to give us peace with you and peace with one another. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.